The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Revelation chapter 22. If you're visiting with us, we've been going through the book of Hebrews. We left that on your bulletin uh, just as a way of reminder. But today we are taking a little break. We know it's a holiday weekend. A lot of our regular folks are out and about, and that is fine and good in its place. But we want to just take a break to make sure we're all on the same page of Hebrews when they get back. So this morning, this has been a question about what what happens at the very end. And that's a big question. So this morning, we're going to take a a little bite of that cake. You know, how do you eat an elephant? You eat it what? One bite at a time. Well, maybe over the weeks as we take breaks from Hebrews on holidays and such, we'll do such. But this morning, you are in the last chapter of the Bible, and you are literally going to be reading almost the very last words, written words that we have of the Lord Jesus Christ before John signed off in the last holy writ of scripture, the last inspired word of the Bible. If you're able to stand this morning, will you stand with me? We're going to start in uh, Revelation chapter 22. I will actually uh, start in verse 10, and we will uh, read down to verse 14. We'll be preaching verses 12 and 13. Just want to give some context on the wings on both sides. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Our sermon title is Three Promises of Our Returning King. Three Promises of Our Returning King. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. And he, that's the angel, said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. For behold, verse 12, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay everyone for what has been done. For I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. You can do this without reading it, can't you? The beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may not have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. May God bless the reading of his word. Church, my purpose this morning is not the big idea. My purpose this morning is to encourage you, to remind you, and to let you think on things that literally are not of this world. Because in this world, there's never someone so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. We need to be more heavenly minded, don't you? I do. Paul said, focus your things on things that are above, Colossians 3, 2. That's what I want to do today. There is reality in our country right now we have to deal with. But as a Christian, in order to face that reality in your life and around the nation, you have to see your king as he is. Because if your eyes go off that, it goes off to all sorts of random places. It's not what we want. Let's pray together. We'll get into this. Three promises of our returning king this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the wind that's outside, the brief rain shower that we had, the trees that are almost fully green. Father, even the hot weather that's coming, all things in season by your grace. Father, as we look around, it's so demoralizing. As we look to you, it is so spiritually energizing, if I can use that phrase. For Father, may you fill us with your goodness and your grace today to be reminded of who we are in Christ, not to not be in this world. We're called to be in this world, not of it, Lord. But as we do, that we keep all things in great perspective. We pray this this morning as we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Maybe seated. Well, as we come to this time, I know uh, uh, our son and our sons would probably like this. There's a story of a young man 
who was looking at an escalator. Have you ever just sat in front of an escalator and stared at it for a while? Maybe you're weird like me and you like to do that sort of thing. But a manager walked up to this young man and he said, son, what are, are you okay? What are you doing? And the boy nodded and said, I'm doing fine. And he said, well, can I help you? And the boy shook his head no and continued to look at the handrail. This guy was really concerned. And so he asked the young man, do you, do you want me to tell you how an escalator works? And the young man said, no, sir, I'm just waiting for my bubble gum to come back around after the next time. And so he was watching it over and over and over and over. Look, a lot of us treat life like that. We focus on the thing that we should not be focusing on, and it keeps going around over and over and over and over and over in our minds. And we miss the bigger picture of it. And so, friends, it does us much spiritually good to read the end of the Bible. It gives us much spiritual good to see the final words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The last words should be lasting words in your mind. We want them to be dominant in our thinking, and we want them to go with us wherever God may take us. We want them to be etched in our minds so that when we are stuck in the cycle of this world, that we take a break from it for a second and realize that God is up to much bigger things in the world, more than the eye can see. And so these words that we're seeing are an echo of words that Jesus has said before. In fact, he'll say it several times in Revelation 22. We'll go through that in a minute. But what we just read is not found in the upper room after the resurrection. This is not found in the letters to the seven churches of Revelation, in Revelation 2 and 3. This is not found in the Great Commission. What we find here is a call by Christ himself to get refocused on what is coming someday. I will completely confess, I looked this up, I had a question in my mind as I prepared this week. How many young pastors, and by the way, you hired me as a young pastor, but I'm almost to a demographic where I'm now considered middle-aged, so just get that in your mind, okay? But young pastors, how often do they preach the end of the world? You realize that our generation, which, what are we, Natalie? We're millennials, I guess, I don't know. Whatever we are, we do not preach the end of the world. Do you know why? Because we're afraid of churches dividing over it, and that does happen. But you all, older generation, I'll let you define what that actually means. You preached it. How many of y'all grew up with regular teaching about the end of the world? Just a show of hands if you would. A lot of hands go up. I think we need to get back to that. Now, you can get really focused on some details that divide people, but the fact is, it's coming. The end of the world is coming. Do you believe that? I mean, it's like, it's literally coming. It could happen now. It could be five minutes from now. It could be when the Royals finally win a game, when they don't blow a save at the end of the game. Who knows? But you should be living as I should be, young or old, in a constant state of vigil. The scripture says, and Amy will put this up here. This is from Isaiah 40, verse 10. It says, Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense is before him. And that's a different translation. But I want you to know, Revelation gives us great comfort and great hope no matter what age you are. And even as this age grows darker, I want to remind you that the plan of God has not been derailed. It has not been taken off the tracks. It is completely where it should be. And someday he will appear and receive his people and reward his saints. So are we living in light of that future reality today? Does our mission as a church have urgency as it should because of what we just read? Are we confident and assured that the injustices will be rectified we've seen this week and the world will be made right? Are we hopeful and longing for the day of the Lord to come just as he said? Well, I pray that we are. Because the big idea today is this. 
is that the return of Jesus is the ultimate hope and promise fulfillment of every true Christian. Are we in the last days? Guys, we've been in the last days since Jesus ascended to the Father in heaven. Are we in the last days of revelation? I don't know, and I'm not going to suggest that we are or we aren't, but we have never been closer to the return of Christ at this very moment. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. As the world grows morally insane, Jesus Christ will return for his bride, and he'll carry her home to glory. We've never been in a moment so close. So three promises today. Three promises today. And yes, they all start with the same letter. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> the promises of Jesus' return, the promise of his reward, and the promise of his reign. And, and we'll go ahead and put up the first one. I want you to know as we start this, you want to see the promise of Jesus' return. The promise of Jesus' return. You see that there in verse 22, don't you? You know where this is coming from. It's very straight from the text. He says in verse 12, he says, behold, I am coming soon, or behold, I am coming quickly. Your, your version may say, he's coming quickly. I remember this is written by John, probably in the latter part of his life. John may have well been in his 90s. Leon, he's got you beat in age, doesn't he? He may well have been in his 90s when he wrote this. He wrote it on the island of Patmos. He was on an island of barrenness. He worked during the day. And all this time, this proclamation was going out. But while he was on the island, he had these visions. And, and Pastor Nelson read that for us a minute ago. And this was during a time when the Caesar and the empire were dominant. And it was not about who was in control, but Jesus into whom all will eventually bow. But Jesus says here, I am coming soon. I'm coming soon. Now, if you're a skeptic, you're going to immediately say, well, where's the promise of his coming? Well, Peter already anticipated that in Second Peter chapter 3. He said, those who say, where's his coming, are actually scoffers. They're ones that don't get what's going on. So emphatic, though, is Jesus, he uses that word, behold. Now, parents or grandparents, if you want to get your kids' attention, you might use the word, behold. Behold, I'm about to say what your punishment is. Behold, I'm about to say your name again. Go do this. Behold. It grabs your attention, doesn't it? Why? Because he says, I'm coming soon. He's coming literally. He's coming bodily. He's coming visibly. He's coming prophetically. He's coming all these things because he is coming back again. And you notice what he says here. He says, I am coming soon. Ego, a me, I am. That great phrase from John where he uses it over and over. But you notice here, it's not in the past. He didn't say, I did come. He did come once, right? He didn't say, I will be coming. It says it's so imminent. It says as if he's coming right now. I am coming. It's like when someone calls you and they say, hey, it's 10 o'clock, you're supposed to be here, and it's 10.05, where are you? And what do you say? I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, he's coming. If you notice verse 7, if you have your Bible still, notice verse 7 and what he says. In chapter 22, he says up above, he says, behold, I am coming, what? Soon or quickly, blessed is the one who keeps the prophecies of this book. Look at verse 20, same chapter, verse 20, his last recorded words. He says in verse 20, surely I am coming soon. So he tells you three times, what do you not get? What do I not get about this? He is coming soon. Well, pastor, it's been 2,000 years and then some change maybe since he said that. Why is he not coming? Friends, may I remind you also from 2 Peter 3 that a 1,000 years is like one day for the Lord. That everything we look at as we see things is not as God sees them. This is in God's timeline when he is ready. But you notice the word coming soon, or literally from the Greek, quickly. It means in verse 12 here, coming, means suddenly, means shortly, 
And when he does, to use the Corinthians analogy, it's like a twinkling of an eye. There's no time to prep. He's coming. It's going to happen. It's just going to happen in an instant. Now, will your clothes fall to the ground and some will be raptured up? We're not going there today. He's coming quickly. That's what we. That's where we're focusing. So how will quickly will he come? Amy, if you'll put this verse up. You do not have to turn there in your Bibles. It'll be up on the screen. But I want to just give you some selected verses that come through here. James chapter 5 and verse 9 says this. It says, don't grumble against one another, brothers or sisters, or you will be judged. Because behold, the judge is standing at the door. Judge Judy? Judge Mathis? People's court? No. Judge capital J. As though the judge of the universe is coming. And he's standing. He's risen from the grave. And as he approaches the door of time and space and bursts onto the scene, there is no delay. He's coming. And he's going to judge the world. We'll get to that in the second point. But I want you to know as he does that, he's already standing at the door ready. Remember, there's two pictures of Jesus standing at the door. You remember what they are? There's a picture in Revelation 3 where he's standing at the door and he's doing what? He's knocking. But that same hand that knocks is also the omnipotent, mighty, all-powerful hand that he is coming to judge the quick and the dead. Can the same God who knocks gently on a church's heart believe? Can I take a time out for that? Every evangelist who told you that's Jesus knocking on the door of your heart has misled you. That letter was written to a church, and he's knocking on a church's door figuratively, spiritually, to call a church back to repentance. Jesus can bust that door down if he wants to. Amen? And if you're a Christian, you better be glad that he can get through anything, including Fort Knox, of your heart spiritually. You were once dead, but now you're alive in Christ. He's coming again. 1 Thessalonians 5.2, I'm sorry for these pictures. I didn't know how they would show up. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 says that the day of the Lord will come like a what? Thief in the night. Now, if you're, in, if you're around today, Liberty had some break-ins in uh, the middle of the day. People are getting brazen, you know, the, the porch pirates. If you're an Amazon delivery person, they come on your porch and they, like, steal your packages off your... Look, doesn't matter what the analogy is. When a thief comes, you're usually not what? You're not prepared. So they usually wait till it's darkest, but when he breaks in, he takes what is valuable and then he leaves. But Jesus will come, and his most valuable possession, do you know what it is? the bride of Christ. If you don't believe that your God loves you, you better think again because he's coming back for you. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And you know this next one, don't you? John 14, 2 and 3. It, Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many dwelling place or mansions. I go to prepare a place for you and I receive you myself where I am. You may be also. Jesus is coming again, and he will be building for us a place. Now, if you're a King James, you get a mansion. If you're every other modern translation, you get a little shack on the side of the road. <laughs> Give me a shack. I don't care as long as I get Jesus. Amen, and that's what it's about. He is coming. He's prepared a place for you. The bridegroom will return, but the bride didn't know when, and so it was unannounced. And in those days, the, 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 the bride would just be waiting, and the bridegroom, the, 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 the soon-to-be husband, would just show up. And take her away. I drive a lot of parents mad in the wedding ceremony, but that's just how it would happen. And so, too, as the bride of Christ, we must be ready. Tower of you, as a church individually, you must be ready, but as a church corporately, we must be ready. There are no prophecies that need to be fulfilled. It can happen now or it can happen later. Amy, you'll put this up on the screen. The blessed hope of Christ's return then must lead to blessed holiness now. There are so many people who love to talk about the end of the world. 
whose spiritual lives are in shambles. It's almost like that doctor, you know him or her, and I know him or her, who talks to you about taking your vitamins, who talks to you about exercising, and you check out of the front desk and you go outside, and when you walk around the corner to your car, there comes a big puff of smoke. And as you get in your car, curiously, you look around the corner, and there's that doctor like a chain smoker just going to town like he's a, a power plant. There's so much smoke coming from his mouth. And you think, what a hypocrite. What a hypocrite. He's telling me to be healthy, and he does this? Well, Christian, we're no different if we tell people the end of the world is coming, and we're not living like Jesus could come back today. The deeper you hope in the return of Christ, the more you desire to be like him. We need to have a regular diet of this truth laid out before us. He is coming. He is coming again. First John 3 tells us that we are now children of God and it hasn't yet appeared what we will be. We know when he appears, we will be like him and we will see him as he is. And everyone who has hope fixed on him purifies himself even as he is pure. God desires that our hearts are clean and our bodies are pure. Look, if you died today and you didn't confess your sins before you died, if you're a Christian, you are saved. You don't need last rites. But I pray that there is a new and refreshed dominance of Christ's return because he is coming quickly. That's the first point. Second thing, second promise of this returning king I want you to see is the promise of Christ's reward. Not just that he's returning, but there is a promise of Christ's reward. Look back at verse 12 if you have your Bible. He tells you what that is. He's not only coming quickly or soon, but he's bringing my recompense with me, he says, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. Buckle up for this one. This is a pretty deep one. He's bringing his recompense with me, not, not a word you use often, but one that comes to mind when you see this. This was not intended to make them feel bad. This was intended to encourage them. Remember, the church that John was writing to spread around the known world at that time was under great persecution. To name the name of Jesus was to seal your fate, most often in a, in a, in a uh, coliseum somewhere or on a stake being burned literally so that uh, Nero could have some garden parties. To be a Christian was to lose everything. To be a Christian was to be a known atheist. To be a Christian was to mean that you were against everything that the world held dear, and now you were going to stand by yourself. And so he says to them how important it is what we do for the Lord here. We all know those songs. We all want to hear those great words, don't we? Well done, good and faithful servant. Not well done, good and famous servant, but well done, good and faithful servant. Let's be clear. You are saved by grace alone through Christ alone. You agree with that? But the rewards on that day are by works. Yes, you are not saved by what you do. Salvation is by grace, but you are judged by works and rewarded for your works that you do in the name of Jesus Christ here. And so you need to know that. And these works are empowered by God's grace, by his spirit. They're given to you, but the Lord will reward us for what we has done. And notice what he says here. He says his reward is with him. His reward is with him. Jesus doesn't have to go wrestle it from the devil. Jesus doesn't have to get it out of the bank account before the stock market crashes. He has it with him always. Jesus is always ready to bless his people, even at the end of the days. And when he returns, it says, my reward will be with him. You will want what you have done for Christ on that day to matter. He will judge your works. He will judge your deeds. He will judge your attitudes. He will judge your loose words. 
And that's why we know he is coming again. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There's a lot of passages I could have picked. This one seems to encapsulate where we're going with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10. It is on the screen, but I want you to be underlining. I want you to think about what is being said as you look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. Paul writing again to the church at Corinth. This is what he said. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or whether evil. Hold your spot there. We're going to be here for a few minutes, okay? He says, we all will appear. Who is he writing to? He's writing to non-Christians, isn't he? I mean, Paul's writing non-Christians. No, his audience is us. His audience is God's people, the bride of Christ. He says, we all will appear. Some think because they've been justified by faith that they will not be judged by the living God. Friends, that is not true. We, have want, we won't have the great white throne judgment of Revelation 20 where the books of life are opened. We have been justified, but we have to give an account for what we have done here. Christian, I cannot motivate you to live for Jesus Christ. Only God and his grace working through the spirit of God, if you're in him, can do that. But I pray what we're about to go through would laser focus your life a little bit more about what this world is all about. Remember, he's coming with a reward. He says, we must all appear. We must. This is not a guess. This is not, Tita doesn't have to go there, but Derek does. Or Richard does, but, 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 but Bill doesn't. Everyone will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, including Christians. Now, that may scare some of you. What are we being judged for? Well, first off, you're going to be standing. This is that athletic thing. I know COVID kind of threw a crux into the Olympics, but usually in the Olympics, they have a podium at the middle. We take this back to the early days of the Greeks where they have the first, second, and third place, and they stand up there, and they reward them back then with wreaths, now with medals that cost like $500, whatever it is. Maybe they go to Dollar Tree. I don't know, but they, they get them. But they would pack those stadiums, and they would reward them for their faithfulness and their goodness and their competition and all the honesty. On that day, Hebrews 11 and 12 tells us that we will be surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And individually, we will be called up one by one to give an account before the Lord himself. But Christian, I want to tell you, this is not a judgment day like you're going to lose your salvation. This is a celebration of what God has done for you. Each one, we don't come as couples, we don't come as members, we don't come by Tower View Baptist Church, Claycomo Baptist Church, such and such church, whatever. We come as individuals. Notice what also it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10. It says that we'll be recompensed. We'll be recompensed. We'll be worthy of the rewards that we receive. We must appear. We don't just show up. We are laid bare. We are open to the scrutiny of judgment by the Lord himself about what we did for him on this earth. The judge, the Lord Jesus Christ, will not only see our lives, but he will see through our lives. Not just what we have done, the scripture says, but how we have done it. Do you know many people do a lot of things in the name of Jesus who don't really do it for Jesus? They do it to be seen by people. They do it because that's what they've been asked to do. But on that day, God will ask us what gifts, our talents, our treasure, our time, our resources how they were used to expand and grow the kingdom of God. You see at the end of verse 10 there, the deeds that were done in the body. Let me talk about this for a second. 
about 15 years ago, there was a young movement. I was uh, in the seminary crowds that were part of this movement called the Young Restless Reformed Movement, the YRR. Those guys are now old with beer bellies and really bad beards, and they don't fit in skinny jeans like they once did. But that crowd reclaimed for many people the old truths, the old dead guys that we talked about here. They talked about the Puritans. They talked about Spurgeon. They talked about these great truths of Scripture that seemingly were gone for many years from churches and preaching and teaching and, uh, and just all the things that were. But that crowd also responded, I think, in a negative way to many things. A lot of you in the generation that precedes mine grew up in a very legalistic thing. Do this, don't do that. Don't look this way, do this, do this. And you know what I'm talking about when I say that. The heart behind it was right, but sometimes it came out really like this. And that young restless reform crowd said, as long as that stuff in my head is right, it doesn't matter what I do within the body. And countless pastors, Mark Driscoll, James McDonald, golly, we could put a list over and over, have fallen by the wayside. Actually, I have a book in my office that was written and three of the four major recommendations in the back of the last 10 years have fallen by the wayside. Because they said, as long as I think correctly, it doesn't matter how I live out that truth. Christian, don't fall for that. Because someday the deeds done in your body will be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ. It does matter what you believe. And it also matters how you behave. They're intersecting like this in your life. Because if you believe the right things, you want to do the right things to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you're never caught up in that whirlwind. He goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, he says here, he goes on to say in the body, this is emphasizing not just thinking, but the doing. Notice that last phrase of 2 Corinthians 5, 10. Remember, we're connecting it back to Christ returning with rewards. He says good or evil. What are the good deeds you could do? Maybe witnessing or serving or, or in the kitchen or the choir, taking down the trash, serving your neighbor, loving each other. All those great things, not even in an official capacity, all that will be judged on the last day. A cup of water given in my name. And when he put a door in front of us, we could have driven a, a, a whole continent through it and we did it. But he also says the evil things. Well, pastor, I thought Jesus took my sin as far as the east, it's from the west. Amen, he did, right church? He did. But you also have to remember that the bad here means literally worthless. Things that we did with our time, our energy, our resources, our whatever, that were not promoting and glorifying the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wasted time, wasted opportunity. What good will be there be left behind? You know, Jonathan Edwards, one of those old dead guys, probably America's most famous preacher coming out of New England in the 1700s, fully believed that to, to the extent we are faithful here to serve the Lord, we will have greater chances to serve the Lord in heaven when we die. I think there's some truth to that. To the extent we put not put our shoulder to the plow, there will be less chances by the Lord to serve him in heaven. Look, some lights are going to be shining in heaven. There is no socialism in heaven. You get that? Just as there are degrees of suffering in hell, and that's a whole other sermon, there are degrees of reward in heaven. Well, I thought we were just going to lay everything on his feet. You will. But there's a place for those who serve more faithfully and those who serve more honestly before the Lord. So Christian, when you are judged by the Lord, let me be very clear. Let's summarize this. If you're saved, you're not going to lose your salvation on Judgment Day. Aren't you grateful for that? But there is also a reality that how you live for Jesus here will impact how he rewards you there. You're not losing your salvation. You're not going to go sweat it out with Richard Simmons in purgatory. You will be forever with the Lord. 
But those rewards will come to those who faithfully serve. Romans 14.10 and 12 says this. Amy, I don't think that's on the screen. Uh, Romans 14.10 through 12 says it this way. For we will all stand before the judgment of the seat of the Lord. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. So then each of us will give an account of himself before the Lord. Your education, your gifting, the, the church you have, the family, the wife, the kids, everything will give an account before the Lord. Are you ready for that day? Amy, you can go ahead and put up the next screen if you would. Heaven's rewards are laid up by blood, bought, forgiven, adopted people living like it. Christian, if you hear nothing else today, Christians are not always rewarded the same way in their life, in this life for their faith. I mean, let's be honest. Abel was murdered by Cain. Enoch was raptured away. He was the first left behind serious theology guy that went out of this world, right? Jerry Jenkins and, and Tim LaHaye were proud of him. Daniel shut lions' mouths, but others were eaten by lions and their mouths. Some were famous, some were forgotten to time in history. We may never know the side of heaven, but our full reward is coming soon. Keep trusting, keep serving, keep putting your head to the plow, and you will be okay. Christian, I know that this may surprise some of you. We don't talk about it a lot. We talk about unbelievers being judged, but you too will be judged, not for your salvation, but how faithfully you lived it out. And I truly believe if you're honest with your life and you live by faith as much as you can, you will hear those words, which we so long to hear, don't you? Doesn't your heart beat this way? Well done, good and faithful servant. Say, well, Darren, what if I missed a chance to share the gospel? What if I didn't do this? What if it, look, the Lord forgives but with everything you are, live with Christ. If you're a parent, share the gospel with your kids. If you're a husband or a wife, love each other as Christ has told you to love each other. If you're a widow or a widower, ask the Lord, what is the season of life I can do to serve? If you're single, Lord, who is it? Where is it? How is it? How can I serve you? You'd be surprised at how he answers. Let's go to point number three. He is coming again. He's returning. He's bringing his reward. And this last point here, he is coming to reign. He's coming to reign. Will you flip back to Revelation 22 with me? I want to read verse 13 one more time as we close. You know these verses well. I don't need to expound them, but you need to hear them because they are so important to what is coming down in these next however long before he comes. Revelation 22 and verse 13. He says, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Look, this is perfectly placed. He says, ego I mean. He says, alpha, I'm the first letter of the alphabet, the A. I'm the omega, I'm the Z. Nothing happens between me unless I know about it. Trust me. History is his story. It has been often said. History is his God's story. The rising and falling of empires, the voting in of one president and not of another are his. He's the origin and the source. He is the omega. He brings history to its appointed end. Do you want to know what that history is? Go read Revelation 6 through 19, and you will see exactly what is coming down for the rest of humanity. There's no higher court to appeal to. Every knee will bow and confess, and may this ring in our ears. And Amy will put this up. Jesus lives. Jesus reigns. Jesus is coming again. Let us bow down and worship. As we think about the last weeks in our country, last few days, last several days in our country and the terribleness that we've seen in our own denomination, in our country, and things around the world. Some of you struggle to believe this. I have struggled to believe this at times. 
But I pray these words today that Jesus lives, Jesus reigns, he's coming again. Let us bow down and worship will be an encouragement to you. You know, Christians often get knocked as you're, again, you, you guys just talk about heaven and all these things. What about the things here on this earth? Well, Christ wants us to be the greatest representation of heaven here on this earth. We'll keep in focus where he's coming from and what we are called to do. And friends, if we don't believe Jesus is coming again, we are most people to be pitied, aren't we? He is coming again. I believe, if I can take a time out aside for a second, most of our church believes we will not, most of our Tower View church believes we will not be here when, when all this goes down. Okay. I'm not gonna chase that rabbit. But whether your clothes are gonna drop to the ground and you're gonna be raptured out of here and all the cars are gonna crash like the Left Behind series movies or you're gonna be here, I love you. But this is what we all agree on and I'm gonna leave the last slides for another time. This is what we all agree on. He is coming is our church united around that vision? Is our love for each other heightened because of what he has done for us? Is our desire to reach the nations for Jesus Christ greater because he's coming again? If we truly believe he's coming again, this church will be as vibrant as it ever will be. Or will we be like those who had their lampstands ready and put them out because they didn't think that the person was gonna come and take them away? He's coming again. Does that mean every blood food? Does that mean every uh, Ukraine thing that moves? No. Please don't play to the tail of the Antichrist. Please don't play headline return of Jesus roulette. Please stay focused. Every time the end times are talked about in the Bible, do not be afraid. Get your head in the game. Get your rearing gear and live for Jesus. That's all you're called to do. If you want to have some fun this afternoon, type in the rapture index. It's a scale. And based upon the degrees of what's happening in the world, the rapture index goes up or goes down. Friends, we don't live by the headlines. We live by the fact that he said he's coming again. Do you believe that? Will you bow your heads with me this morning? I pray you're encouraged. I pray that you feel the weight of the words of Jesus today, but the relief of the words of Jesus. He is coming again. We will stand before him, but the relief is he's not letting us go. He reigns in our hearts and our minds, our souls, and forevermore. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you on this day that's different, on a weekend that's different because of the holidays, as we remember those who've passed in service of our country. We thank you, Lord, that no matter what falls around us, that your grace is sufficient for the task at hand, that, Lord, your promises to us that you're returning, that you're going to be rewarding, and that you're still reigning, no matter what it looks like, you are the awesome almighty God that deserves all our worship. So, Father, as we close out today, I pray you encourage hearts. As we get back to Hebrews next week and Melchizedek and all that that is, Lord, and we thank you for the technical details ahead in our study of chapter 7 next week. We pray, Lord, that our hearts are aflame in anticipation, longing for, and the ultimate fulfillment of the greatest hope that we have, that your son is coming again. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this, and we pray with John. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. We pray. Maranatha, in Jesus' name.